Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. The Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport in association with Lacquer. Bicycle insurance powered by the community. Welcome to the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport, the home of cycling, brought to you by Lacquer. I'm Graham Wilgos, and joining me, of course, Bradley Wiggins. Hi. <laughs> welcome, welcome back, Brad. New, new sponsor. Everyone's, Another new sponsor, Shellac. Ev- everyone's no, Lacquer. Is it called Lacquer. Everyone in cycling's doing it. Yeah, everyone is doing it in cycling. Yeah. Um, Lacquering. And, uh, and joining us this week, I'm very happy to say a true classics specialist, Milan San Remo, Liège Baston Liège winner, Simon Gerrans. Simon, welcome. Thank you, guys. Good to be here. Uh, good to have you. It's convenient for you to drop in, Simon, isn't it? Because you're a, you're a London man now. He lives in Feltham. <laughs> <laughs> as lovely as it is out here, I'm not that close to Feltham. No, in Clapham, so central London, just down the road. So, yeah, quite convenient to uh, drop in. Um, so you've retired from the Pro Peloton, but you've taken up a sporting internship with Goldman Sachs. You're a city man now. Yeah, that's right. So, um, yeah, big change from obviously uh, racing uh, in the Pro Peloton, but... Uh, now you're racing in Richmond Park. <laughs> now I stepped into another very competitive environment. That's in finance. So yeah, big change, but it's uh, it's going well so far. First question I need to ask you actually on that is: Is there more psychopaths, or are there more psychopaths in the city or in the peloton? Well, there's a lot of psychopaths in the peloton. That's for sure. I'm only new to this city, so um, I'm not going to say I haven't come across any as yet. But I definitely know a lot more psychopaths in the peloton. Who's the biggest psychopath in the peloton? Oh, who's the biggest psychopath? Real one, like clinical or... <laughs> well, either. Because there's, there's a quite a difference in, between in... a clinical psychopath than the kind of everyday branded around term of, oh, he's a psycho. You sound you like know? Steve Peters coming out. No, no, because I've, I've, I've lived with psychopaths, so I know what I know the difference between a clinical one and, a, and an actual... You know what I mean? We're not going to go into that because this isn't the, uh, the forum know. for... No, but... Yeah, go for it. Knock yourself out. Go. Yeah. <laughs> Psychopaths in the peloton. I've dropped myself in it now. I could have. I could have said any odd name in the city, and you wouldn't know who I was talking about. I guess there's quite a few guys that are, you'd say they're on the spectrum. Yeah, yeah. there has to be by nature of the fact that yeah, I won't. I won't get myself into too much trouble. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, okay, maybe maybe we should move it on. Uh, <laughs> Simon, London roads. You've been you've been out on your bike a little bit, not half as much as you as you were in your career. But how have you found London roads so far? Well, needless to say, I didn't move here to, to ride my bike, that's for sure. And um, it's probably not the, the most ideal cycling destination, but I get out my bike once a week, generally on just one morning on the weekend, and head out towards Surrey, sort of out that way around, uh, around the hills. Did uh, you ride the Olympics in London? I did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that was it. until I was here yeah. late last year. The last time I was actually on these roads were for the Olympics. And it's nice out there. You get out early in the morning, sort of beat the traffic and, and whatnot, and there's, there's a ton of bike riders out as well. So I'm not finding it too bad. You get recognised much? Oh, every now and then, probably more when we stop at the cafe. Generally stop at one of the, the cycling cafes somewhere. And, yeah, because they're accommodating to park the bikes out the front and whatnot, and you sort of get recognised there. But otherwise, um, I'm pretty well uh, run uh, under the radar. Do you still have the nicest bike? Probably not. You know what, I, ca- I was able to hang on to my training bike from, from last year. Mm. So just riding my old BMC uh, training bike at the moment. But, um, yeah, there's plenty of guys that tip quite a few bucks into their bikes, that's for sure. So there's some very nice bikes around. Uh, anyone ever try and race you? Not so much these days, no. And probably now that I'm not riding around in team kit, 
yeah, I'm not getting raced uh, as much. Brad, every time you're on the bike now, is that the case? Someone Very rare to well, What about no, you, little boy? Yeah, I don't really. He goes out on his own, really. I've sort of not got involved with my son racing. But he, um, where he lives, quite quiet. You know, don't bump into too many yeah. cyclists. I think it's worse in London. You go out on a weekend in London, it's just heaving. So I don't really have that bother anymore. Not that I'm up for the challenge either. So, <laughs> so, so don't try Those it. days are over. Your hour record's there. Go for it. Knock yourself out. <laughs> everyone wants to yeah, have a crack yeah. at that. Um, don't cheat. Don't go to altitude. Do it at sea level. <laughs> Unless you want to Campenarts. Go on, mate, have a good go. We'll be talking more and hopefully hearing from Victor Campenarts. Let's call him Walter then. I called him him Victor. Did I call him Walter, though? What is his real name? Victor Campenarts. Victor, right. Sorry, I might be following a different bloke. We we might have someone different on the show. (laughs) Who knows? No. Simon, you have, of course, stepped away from the pro peloton altogether. Um, One man who announced this week that he's taking an indefinite break from cycling is Pete Kenyuk. He's a former Skyman. Both of you rode with him at, uh, at Team Sky, of course. Tell us a little bit about him. Uh, I mean, I watched Pete grow up through the academy system at BC, and he was immensely talented, um, junior world champion on the track as a kid. Seemed to have everything in front of him. You know, obviously, we're talking about his retirement quite early, really. Obviously, it's early in the season, but also early for... I mean, you still consider him like an age... I look at him like he's like quite a youthful 21-year-old, but I think he's near, near a 30 he's, now, he's isn't 29. He? 29. So he's, so he's still quite... You're relatively young to be retiring, mm-hmm. but I think, you know, he's got certainly got a couple of kids... He's had actually quite a good little career, even though he hasn't maybe fulfilled the massive potential of Team Pursuit Olympic champion, stage in the Dauphiné, leader's jersey in the Vuelta. So he's had a, he's had a good run at things. Twice but obviously, I think, I think there are, there are other things at, at play here that have forced his decision, really, which I think have been well-documented and mm. well-reported. But, you know, having said that, you know, you have to wish him all the best, really, and, and actually praise him on the career he has had you know he's retiring with some palmares even though we may sit here thinking it's quite early mm. and he hasn't fulfilled his potential but he's a great young lad and i'm sure whatever he does now he'll be successful at simon what's your uh, what's your experience of riding with pete Kenyon? yes i remember pete because i think he was a neo pro when they launched sky in 2010 mm. so obviously bradley and i were both on the team there with him and he was just like this enthusiastic young kid in that like a kid in a candy store basically you could just see him soaking it all up um, and I raced with him quite a bit throughout sort of 2010 and I think 2011 as well. And I remember him just being a fantastic young guy. And obviously the years following that, we crossed paths at, at many races and yeah, it was the kind of guy I always said hello to and always checked in with. But I guess when you get to a scenario like this, when he's sort of called the end to his career and a lot, say, in, still in his 20s, sort of quite prematurely by traditional standards, you just hope that everything's good with him and all's mm-hmm. well for him as a person rather than sort of the loss to the sport. You think, OK, as long as he's, he and himself is doing all right. Obviously, as there is in, in any sport, an awful lot of pressure that we don't necessarily see, particularly as, you know, as fans watching on TV, which, which we all are now. Is there a, a, a sort of a particular pressure point that you, you might feel going from, particularly from going from Team Sky where he was maybe comfortable to going to, to Bora Hansgrove uh, as he has been in the last It might last be. I mean, seasons. he grew up with the likes of Rod Ellingworth and all that. You know, so I think it was it was a system that he was very used to. He'd come through. They nurtured him through that BC system and straight into Sky. So he'd never known anything else really. Mm. So it must have been quite a change really, from being a 15, 16 year old kid at British Cycling going into what is the German team. You know, I think that must have been quite hard for him because um, there would have been a level of expectation on him. You know, having took him from Team Sky, where you kind of like, okay, do do for us what you did at Team Sky. Whereas at Team Sky. They kind of knew him inside out, and mm. I think he was—I think he was in Chris's 2013 tour-winning team, and was quite an integral part of that. He was one of the strongest riders in that tour mm. for Chris, one of the support riders along with Richie. So you know, he, he has had moments of brilliance over the years riding for Sky, but 
you know, I think his family are far more important to him and his mm. children than than this life of professional racing. I think sometimes that line can get a bit skewed, and when you're in it, you can think that this is the be all and end all, and it's do or die, and it feels like life and death sometimes when mm. you're in it. The minute you can draw yourself out of it and get a bit of perspective, you realise that there's much more out there to do. And he's took that decision, and, and um, you know, good on him for, for having having the balls to do it this early in the season and be so public with why he's done it as well. Mm. It's an indefinite break, we should say as well, rather than a, mm. a, a full stop yeah. in terms of his retirement. But um, as we all say, we wish him well. Uh, it's a, a huge period in cycling. Then race is coming thick and fast. Tour of Flanders today, chaps. Thrills and spills everywhere. Six hours and twenty minutes in the saddle can be two hundred and seventy kilometres of sheer hell. Brad, you said you used to quite enjoy it as a rider, though. Yeah, I mean, there's no hiding in Flanders. It is You can guarantee if you win the Tour of Flanders, you were the strongest rider on the day. And I think, you know, Alberto proved that today. You know, he was by far and away the strongest rider in the last 20k. When you consider the amount of strong hitters that were in that second group, you know, he was he was the man. And, um, I mean, special mention probably to Matthew van der Poel, really. Who I think everyone was surprised just to see him back in that group, considering what had happened to him early in the day. But it's a brilliant race. It's a great race to watch. I think part of me prefers the old format. We used to do the Muir and the Bosberg and then the final mm. running, but it's still a great race. And you see, you know, the weather like it is today and just the crowds that turn out for the race. This is my favourite period of the year now, you know, Flanders. And then obviously we've got a week to wait now till Roubaix. Alberto Bettiol then, as you said, education first, uh, went off the front with about 15 kilometres to go and held the gap. Um, Simon, you were particularly impressed with him, weren't you? Yeah, very much so. Um, so Bethiel and I were teammates last year and actually roomed with him quite a bit. And he had such a troublesome season last year. He was he started, he was seriously underdone at the beginning of the year. You see he hadn't put a lot of effort into his pre-season. Um, so he was carrying it a bit weight throughout the year. He had several really untimely crashes. I think he broke his collarbone two or three times. Um, so just a year with constant uh, interruption. So to see him start out this season with such consistent performances and then obviously to get the first win of his professional career at the Tour of Flanders, yeah, I'm seriously impressed. Pink helmet, of course. The first Sorry. rider ever to win the Tour of Flanders in a pink helmet. Yes, you, you, you said when we <laughs> cycling were, really has changed. You said when we were watching, a man in a pink helmet can't be winning it. But a, a pink helmet and them stupid glasses they wear. But hey, they are sponsored by him, and we have to respect that. Casper Askren then to Koenig Quick Step uh, in second place, and Alexander Kristoff yeah. um, completing the podium. And Van der Poel fourth, wasn't he? So he was. Yeah, we're particularly impressed with him this week too. And he went down today. So I mean, you, you you seem to think that he deserved it when he went over his handlebars. Not too. The, the impact wasn't too harsh on him, so he was able to get up carry on chase back on and then he was there in the final in the mix-up yeah honestly when I saw him go down there I thought we're not going to see him back at the front of the race again particularly for the efforts he had to make to rejoin the front group but uh, I don't know whether he thought he was still on his cross bike or what there he jumped over a nature strip obviously double punctured and so paid the price for that and then uh, yeah his front wheel warped so quickly it threw him straight over the handlebars and the way he was sitting on the pavement there holding his shoulder it looked like he might have done his collarbone yeah so to see him just a few minutes later back up and chasing um (laughs) He obviously finished on his on his spare bike and joined the back to the group of favourites. Um, was a very very impressive ride. As, as you mentioned there, he's, he's cleaned up at cyclocross before coming to the pro peloton. Yeah, as we say, not only did he uh, get up and carry on, he was then attacking with Bob Jungles and then in the in the mix up for the for the final. Yeah, he's um, a class act. I mean, he's the future. He, he'll win this race one day, like his father. He's he's overperforming for his age, and I think you know he's he's only been doing the road for his first proper season on the road now. I know he was doing a bit last year, but. Mm. Considering he'd been come straight off of a cross season, and you know, we'll be talking about him in ten years' time as, mm. as winning this race, eighth place, big Alejandro Valverde. Yeah, yeah. obviously, forty-seven he, obviously years of age. I mean, top 10. quite something for a forty-seven-year-old to be <laughs> up there at this this stage of the game. But 
I mean, that just shows, you know, we, we, every year he just never ceases to amaze me. You know, just, he just seems to get better every year. Or well, he certainly plateaued a bit now, which is quite good. Yes. Well, the in, top yeah, ten in, in the Tour terms. of Flanders as world champion, you know, and you can you can imagine him lining up at the Tour and the Vuelta. We'll still be talking about him at the end of the season at the Worlds. He's just incredible. His constitution to race is, is, is quite amazing. Yeah, to bounce back every time. Mm. Who else were we impressed with today? So in that final shake-up, we had uh, Sagan, Oli Nason, uh, Van der Poel, Bob Jungels, Wout van Aert, uh, Michael Matthews, your countryman. Simon was, uh, was was hanging on at the back there as well. Yeah, considering the sort of limited racing Matthews has, has done this year, he's obviously just sharpened up mm. enough to be racing at the front. He won a couple of stages in Catalonia uh, last week, so um, I think this is probably his first real crack at Tour of Flanders. Mm. So seeing him finish in the front group is, is a strong ride. Um, but I just thought it was an exciting race. Right down to the wire, we didn't know who was going to win. And for the past few years, we've seen Tour of Flanders wrapped up fairly early mm. with, a, with a strong break that was never going to come back. So um, I thought it was a really good addition. What are your memories of the race? Because you were saying, Simon, you rode it as a neo-pro. Yes, yeah, so I have lined up in, in my first year pro with, with AG2R. And that year, they were just throwing me into every race to see what I could actually do and what I couldn't. And then from pretty much every season after that, I did the Tour of Basque Country, mm. which starts the very next day after Tour of Flanders. So, um, yeah, I didn't do it for the rest of my career, basically. It was only in 2014 that um, Matt White had this harebrained scheme of he was going to send me to, to Flanders and, and try and win there. Um, I went up and did a recon early season. It was about two degrees and raining sideways. And I said, screw this for kicks. There's no way I'm going to come and race <laughs> race this. So I went back to what I knew. I did the Basque Country and, and uh, the, the typical Ardennes. Very sensible. Brad, what your memories of it your uh, your face is still on the road of course it is now yeah <laughs> how, god knows why how long, did, I, how long did that take you um no my crack team of belgium they're going out in an a-team van in the night and sorted that out but i had um i rode in 2002 and obviously i it was my first edition i rode we had some riders in the team like jackie durand who'd mm. won the race frederick Gedon, Paris roubaix winner baden cook and i just ended up. I remember riding in awe of most of you know this these people I'd watched racing on TV: Museo, Ballerini, Van Petegem, Robbie McEwen. You know all these kind of hitters, really. Andre Schmil, and uh, just kind of not wanting to get in their way. Mm. You know, every time we approached a climb, you know, it's kind of like, oh God, Museo's here. Oh, this Schmil, I better get out of the way. You know, didn't feel worthy to be in their company, really. And you just didn't want to disrupt their race or anything, but try and do your job for your team at the same time. And then obviously I rode it towards the end of my career as well, and in the current format, finishing in Udenada and it was just an, an amazing race, really. And at that time, we were working for Grant Thomas, who was still, you know, pursuing the classics career, never thinking he'd gone to win the Tour, you know, a few years later. So it's really become an all-rounders race now with the current format, mm. hence why the likes of Valverde and, and those guys get up there. So it's just a great day out, and it's a great thing to be part of. If you can come through the kind of mess and the melee and the crashes and end up in that final, it's, it's an amazing thing to be part of. In the women's race, which we, of course, need to mention, uh, Marta Bastianelli, Team Virtus Cycling, won in a three-rider sprint, beating Annemiek van Vluten, uh, Mitchell and Scott, and Cecile Utrup-Ludwig to the line. In 2019, cycling fans across Europe will be able to watch over 30 UCI World Tour events live on Eurosport and Eurosport Player, available on the app and online via eurosport.co.uk. Eurosport Player also allows viewers to catch up and relive all the action on demand. Eurosport will bring fans unrivaled expertise and analysis from all the best moments of the 2019 season. Welcome back to the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport in association with Lacquer. Chaps, I set you both a little bit of homework this week. I wanted to talk about your ultimate rider. 
So just to give this a little bit of context, if you were the, the DS and you could pick in your team your best GC man, yeah. your best time trialist, your best sprinter, climber, and possibly domestique, right. who would you pick each time? Let's start with the GC man. Eddie Merckx, GC leader Easy one. Yeah, has to be for me. Simon? Well, I'm only going to look back over sort of throughout my career and maybe just a couple of years leading into that because um, I was kind of starved of cycling. I was a late starter in the sport and then, you know, it was very difficult to follow the sport from Australia. It was, you got, you know, a, a highlights package of a couple of stages of Tour de France um, we're all really exposed to in Australia. So it's only once I, I moved to Europe in sort of, you know, my late teens, nearly 20, mm. um, that I really started to follow the sport and, and sort of started to admire uh, the pros. So looking back over my career as a as a GC rider, there are a couple of real standouts, and I guess Contador was always very very impressive as a GC rider. But I think if you look at the Tour de France in its format these days, you've got to be so complete, so you can't have any any faults. It can't be just an outstanding sprinter or an outstanding time trialist. You've got to be a real all rounder. And for me, the best all round GC rider that I witnessed throughout my career was Lance. What about uh, the guys you've ridden? We'll be with? careful saying that on this show. <laughs> do, you, do you disagree? No. Hey. I, I, I've made my comments clear about him over the years, actually. I was going to ask you a question. Who's the, the one that kind of destroyed your expectations of what you thought they were? I mean, who was the loosest GC rider or GC leader that you, you raced with that you thought, God, how's this guy got top 10 in the Tour de France or something? Because I remember one guy that, that's why I'm asking, it's a bit yeah. loaded because I raced with him as well and I used to think he was absolutely crazy. Yeah. In your AG2R days, so it's okay. a bit of a loaded question. Actually, it probably comes back to that old, uh, a bit on the spectrum of being a bit uh, psychotic. And Christophe Moreau, yeah, yeah, he was, a, yeah, he's a great guy. Oh, he's he a, a lovely man. He yeah. was a Just... super generous leader. Like uh, I remember, you get to a Tour de France party at the end of the tour, and he would stand in front of the bar, and he wouldn't let anybody buy a drink. He had to buy, pay everyone's drinks all night. So he was, he really looked after people in his team. And I remember a standout thing about Moreau: he would always thank his teammates at the end of the day. And you'd say, Christ, Christoph, maybe I, I might have only was able to bring him one bidden throughout the whole day. He's like, yeah, but that bidden, when it came, I really needed it, so thank you. So I, I remember that about it's important. Rome. It's important as a young rider as well, that sort of stuff, right? I remember that for my entire career. But um, you're also going to go out and kill yourself all over for him the next day too. Absolutely. What about, Brad, the people that you rode with or against, if you had to pick one for the, as, for as the, a GC, the GC man? Yeah. I used to love riding with Christian Vandervelde. He was, um, he'd had a lot of experience riding with Lance and that, obviously, and he'd stepped out of the shadows as a kind of helper and tried to forge his own way. He kind of made that breakthrough in the 2008 Tour de France when he got fifth or fourth, I forget which one it was. But he was a lovely guy, very similar, you know, really thankful at the end of the day. And when I made my breakthrough in 2009, he was so supportive towards me, even though he was still our team leader. You know, when he knew that it wasn't happening for himself, he was very quick to sacrifice his own race for me. So, again, you never forget those gestures from people. And, and, mm. and, and Christian Vanderveld was always someone that, that really impressed me as a leader, the way he went about his business. What about uh, sprinters then? I think one man obviously stands out, especially if we're talking Tour de France. But mm. uh, Japroff is that? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, no, it's cab, it has to be cab for me. Express. Yeah, I have to. We've got a pre-nut me and Cav. Well, we're always nice to each other now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm. Uh, I have to go with Cav. Yeah, I mean, he's 30, he's, his record speaks for itself. Thirty stage wins in, in the Tour alone, forgetting the Giro and everything else. And at one time, probably when I was riding those years with him, certainly as world champion when he was world champion at Sky, particularly the Champs he was the fastest man in the world. There's not many people when you when you do a lead out that you you know nine times out of ten that he's going to win at the end of mm. it. And it was much like that when he won the world title, which is why we pretty much rode for 200k. 
he only just won it at the end, but it's, it's, it's very, very rarely you ride for someone where you know you bet a lot of money or you're certainly a house at the end that they'll probably win if they get it right. 2014 tour on Mark Cavendish, Simon. That first stage into Harrogate, coming to the line. The one you knocked uh, him off. Yeah, know? yeah, the yeah. one I knocked him off. <laughs> yeah, I, I shouldered his head, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, what are your memories of that? What did, what did you say to each other after you picked each other up? Off you the didn't floor? hurt yourself, did you? Did you break anything? Yeah, there? just some ribs. Yeah. Oh, so you you retired there as well, did you? No, I kept going. On. I kept going. We were sort of on a bit of a bare bones Tour de France team, and I was sort of still with broken ribs. I was kind of the best shot of a result, mm. so I was sort of shouldering a fair bit of responsibility going to that tour. But um, yeah, that sort of crash sort of ruined my tour from then on. Like I persisted until stage like seventeen or something, and then I thought I'm not going to get anything else out of suffering through this tour, so I went home then. But um, yeah, as far as sprinters go, I would I would agree. You know, unless you're saying the green jersey is the mark of the best sprinter, mm. and then you know the, my the intermediate career, sprints. Yeah, yeah. I mean, was good in his day, wasn't he? He was he was on a part at one time when I rode my first tours in 2006, and that he was pretty much untouchable as well, Robbie, in those days. And what was impressive about Robbie? He he could find his own way. He didn't need mm. a lead out, and he, he could was climb as very well, good. He? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'd seen him finish fourth in a race at the time, Tour of Mediterranean, which to finish up Montferron, and he finished fourth up Montferron. Yeah, one right. Day. It was very impressive. Yeah, yeah. So as far as green jersey wins, you can't go past sort of Sagan these days. Yeah, I think we have to um, mention him, don't we? And throughout my career, but quick guys, Cav, he's, 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 his record speaks for itself. We've been talking about Tour de France stages again. Merck's thirty-four. Eno just behind Cav. Uh, Cav on 30, if you were to take away time trials from uh, their respective Palmares, then Merckx would be on 17, Tour de France stages, Eno would only be on 7, but Cav obviously... I know, it's all if though, isn't it? If some, yeah, if you some know buts. What I mean? It is what it is at the end of the day, and it's a different era, it's a different time. So, you, know, you could almost say in some ways that the sprints now are more hectic, the stages are faster than back in the day when maybe Merckx was winning bunch sprints and beating the likes of Freddie mm. Mines and things, so... It is what it is. I mean, it's, you know, very difficult to compare errors because the sport has changed so much. You mentioned a sprinter who could climb then. What about pure climbers? Well, there's so many that you could choose from, really. And climbers have now become kind of real hybrid athletes, you know, Mm -hmm. like the likes of Valverde finishing eighth in Flanders and yet we'll see him maybe on the podium at the Vuelta at the end of the season. But Pantani, I raced with Pantani. I saw his natural talent on climbs and things. But um, it's a real tough one, that. I could say Pantani, but I'll probably pick someone from who I raced with who really used to impress me on the climbs, who made it look so easy, was Andy Schleck. Mm. In his prime, Andy Schleck, 2010, 2011, when he won Liège in 2009. And when he was that good, he made it look easy. And that was always a mark of how great a climber was, I always thought. Simon, what you got for us? Yeah, I was kind of thinking back and... Um... And I was really never in the front enough in the in the big races to to witness the the best climbers doing their thing. So it was only from watching uh, watching the replays on TV. But um, I got like Harass. Remember Roberto Harass, the Spanish guy. Yeah. I think he won a did he win a Vuelta? You know, I think he was recruited across uh, by Lance to help him in the mountains. Yeah. And I remember just these little guys and they just dance up the climbs to make it look so easy. I want to talk about the help as well. Your domestiques, Brad. Let's start with you on this one. Sean Yates, easy one for me. Yeah. Best domestic that ever lived. Why say? Just because he was just an, the respect that people hold him in, the admiration for for what he did. Yeah. It was always about everyone else. He looked cool doing it. Short shorts, big earring, no helmet. Long hair. Yeah. The, you know, and I was my hero when I was growing up, you know. Yeah. As a British rider. It was only him and Chris Boardman. Chris was always talking about heart rates and blood tests. Yates was talking about it's not over to the fat lady sings. That was the difference between the two. Proper polar opposite. Yeah. Simon? Um, I think Mick Rogers. 
And he was in your he was in your team for the tour. Yeah, and but the thing with Mick is Mick at times was good enough to win the tour. I still think what might have happened had he not crashed out in 2007. Yeah. On the run into team that year. Exactly. When he broke yeah. his collarbone, didn't he? I mean, he was in... He may have been the first Australian tour winner that year. Yeah. Before Cadell, you know. And Mick then obviously spent the rest of his career riding in the... in You know, he had his, probably his best years in the last few years of his career, didn't he? When he won his tour stage, his yeah, Euro stage. Yeah. Um, but we, he was he was riding for you was in that, year's that year. Tour de France was, as, a, as a domestique. And he, he, was, he yeah. was a guy that was a great... Team's time trialist. He could ride the flats. He could mm. ride the mountains. He had a cool head on his shoulders, yeah. so he could call the shots. When he focused on being a domestique, he looked like he was one of the best. Yeah, best I'd seen. Definitely. As as team leader, were you ever marking everyone out of the game at the bar, insisting that only you buy the drinks? We weren't allowed like... to drink really by the time I'd got to that stage. The yeah. game had changed so much. Like when we won the tour, we didn't drink that night. We flew straight home because we had the Olympics five yeah, days course. later. Um, I crashed out in 2011 of the tour, so I went home. 2010, we had a little celebration at the end, but it, it, it kind of, I don't know really, I, know I never rode another tour again after mm. that, but the, the drinking culture thing kind of went out of it by the time we got to Sky, really, because the game had moved on so much. Um, I guess Paris is still a, is a bit of a bit of a tear-up for mm. most people when you get to Paris. But, yeah, the Sky years, it, it became much more business-like, much more about getting the job done and get drinking when you get home because of because of what you were representing as well in terms mm. of the brand. They didn't want people strolling down the Champs-Élysées at 3 in the morning, you know, <laughs> being sick and <laughs> so... What have you. Um, you mentioned Sean Yates there. If we were to pick a rider purely on style and you can't now pick Yates again, who yeah. else? Who well, else? Maurizio Fondrius for me, yeah. again. Most stylish man that ever lived. Why say? Just on the bike. He just he looks so aesthetically made, like he was born on a bike, you know, yeah. just beautiful to watch, yeah. And probably followed closely second by Francesco Moser. Why say with Moser? Again, another one, really. If you watched him on Cobblestones, mm. and there's a few scenes in Sunday in Hell, the famous film from 76, mm. Roubaix, where it's just the top half of his body in the Italian Championship. And his back's, you could, you could make have a tea party on his back, it's that flat. But he's on cobbles, but you don't get the sense he's riding on cobbles because it looks like he's riding on a flat road, mm. whereas most people riding on cobbles will be shaking up and down and making it look like they're, you know... He's, he's got his own built-in uh, suspension. Just, you know, always a, a mark of just... Someone aesthetically looks good on a bike. I've always been in love with the romance of that. Simon? For me, Michele Bartoli. Mm. So there's a pretty common theme with the Italians. Yeah, yeah. The but, um, yeah, Bartoli... Pozzato just... of our generation was also class on a bike, you know. I thought one of you might have said Chippo too. Yeah, he was, yeah... With yeah. the old skin seat. Yeah, I mean, there's so many. Stephen Roach was yeah. beautiful to watch as well. One more for you. If we're talking about your dream team rider in terms of, of pure psyche, who are we picking? Whose attitude was, was going to win you a race or win you a tour? Well, I'd probably nick Mick Rogers now, you've mentioned it, actually, because <laughs> he was like that. The other one, from a classics point of view, was uh, Matthew Heyman. Mm-hmm. Would always get the best out of the people around him. Whatever his form was, he never really wondered too much about his form. It was always about how the team functioned and that. Mm-hmm. And he was... He wouldn't suffer falls either, you know. He'd be happy to tell someone what he thought if they weren't pulling their weight, and he was he was actually a dream to ride with. Simon, um, for me, probably O'Grady. O'Grady was really good at you know bringing everybody up. Just, yeah, you're just, you're just yeah, picking, yeah. <laughs> picking yeah. your mates. Yeah, basically. <laughs> Which no, is but fair. as far as you know, as far as guys that I raced alongside and that were really good, sort of culturally for the team to bring it the best out of everybody. Stewie would definitely bring the best out of everybody. Yeah, you know, in the teams, he was he was super motivating and mm. it was a guy that I really liked to have alongside me when I was targeting a race but he he would also bring the best out of everyone in the bar afterwards as well 
Like it was, it was all work or all play. He wouldn't let you go to bed, would he? He'd be <laughs> stood at the door, stopping people leaving the bar. Yeah, you know, one of them. All right. Well, we want your ultimate rider suggestions to please send them in. To... Wait till the Eurosport works do at the end of the year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, please send in your ultimate rider suggestions to us on Twitter at Eurosport underscore UK, and we'll read some of the best ones out on next week's show. Listeners, it's time to tell you a bit more about our sponsor, Lacquer. Lacquer is a smarter way of insuring your bike and your gear. It's a community of cyclists joining together to save each other money. Lacquer covers all the basics like theft and accidental loss and damage, both at home and abroad. It'll also cover you in sportives and competition races, so long as you're not riding in the pro peloton. How does Lacquer work, you ask? Well, instead of charging you a fixed premium, with Lacquer you only pay a small share of the community's claims cost, and your share is proportionate to how much you insure. Lacquer locks in a maximum price cap to make sure there are no nasty surprises, even in months with lots of claims amongst the community. And when there are no claims that month, you could even pay nothing at all. Rest assured, claims are accepted fast, usually within 24 hours. On average, Lacquer's members have saved 61% on bike insurance. So why don't you investigate the benefits for yourself? Find out more at lacquer.co.uk and enter the promo code WIGGINS to get £10 off. That's L-A-K-A and the promo code W-I-G-G-I-N-S. Simon, you've ridden with two brothers who are, seem to be adding more to their, their game every season, the Yates brothers at Mitchelton Scott. Tell us a little bit about riding with them. Well, yeah, they're two brothers, obviously identical twins and with very similar sort of goals. But as riders, I see them as very different as far as the attributes go. Adam Yates is sort of very flamboyant. He sort of he'll attack on feeling. We've seen him win Classic San Sebastian, um, so he's a very sort of exciting rider to watch in that way. And I think Simon Yates, he's probably the one with more Grand Tour potential because he's way more calculated. Mm. He time trials very well. Uh, you can see his, his efforts are really well timed. And I think um, as far as a three-week race goes, he's probably uh, the one with more potential. You were saying last week, Brad, that Simon Yates is, is probably exactly where he, he wants mm. to be at this stage of the season right now. Yeah, just, I mean, he's won that time trial in Paris-Nice, which I know they wanted to really improve on going into the Giro. He's not too far off the pace, but he's not too high up the classement where you think, Maybe he's hit it too early. Catalonia was the one for me where he really, you know, he was just there in that kind of 10 to 15, you know, and Catalonia's a tough race. Mm. And we saw him on the last stage off the front with his brother and trying to help Adam get up there. So I think, you know, he's just in the position where he can go either way now. He can fine-tune what he needs. He's mm. not trying to hold form now at this stage. So well, we're just nearly a month away now from the start of the Giro. So it, it look, it's looking perfect for him. We think he's, uh, he's going to win it this time? Going to go that extra? I think he will because... We haven't really seen Tom yet at this stage, are we, Dumoulin? Well, um, he's up there at UAE. Yeah, yeah. But you can't tell too much from that. No, and he's, Tom's someone who will ride himself in in the Giro. Mm. I think, I spoke to Matt White a bit this winter and what the things they were trying to improve on with, with Simon, and I think they learnt a lot from that Giro last year, and I think that showed at the Vuelta, particularly how the team rode at the Vuelta last year. Yeah. They learnt a hell of a lot in terms of losing that jersey and letting it go and bringing it back again. Mm. Obviously, it depended on form. As you know, the gyro is a tough race, but I think they'll get it right this year. Well, it's kind of an all-star lineup at the at the Giro this year. He's got some pretty stuff. It's stiff almost more exciting than the Tour. Yeah, you look at the guys that are targeting the, the Giro, and he's gonna um, he's gonna have his work cut out for him to uh, to win this year's Giro. But he's definitely everything seems like he's he's really on track. But I think coming back to 
what he learned against the the welter last year it was probably having someone like with a cool head like Julian Dean in the car because Julian Dean was the guy that was calling the shots mm. in the welter last year and he was just making sure the guys conserved energy for as long as possible in that race knowing it's a it's a late season race you don't have as much as many bulls to fire by that point in the season so you have to really approach it conservatively and I think he timed the effort for the team he had there really well and what's he like as a leader does he quite communicative with the other riders and does he talk a lot he doesn't talk a great deal but he was always a guy that was really receptive to, to feedback. If you said to him, basically, oh, let's write position here or tomorrow let's try and do this a little bit differently because we nearly got caught out or whatever. And he was very receptive to that and also very thankful. On Grand Tours, and I wanted to ask you both, what are your memories of riding the, the Tour de France together? Brad? Well, I think we both crashed in the two tours we rode together. Yeah, you were, one of you went one year and um, the other went the next. Yeah, yeah. Simon, you broke your elbow, did you? Yeah, I broke my elbow on, I think it was stage 10 in the first tour yeah. that we raced alongside each other. And in the second one, I broke my collarbone on stage six, I think it was. What's, so. it, what's it like riding for Brad? Oh, well, I enjoyed riding for Brad. We, you know, we raced the Dolphinate together the Dolphin, leading, yeah. leading into the 2011 yeah. tour. So we did Paris-Nice, I think, in, uh, in that year as well, where you were 11. third. That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we did a few races Kind of alongside each, alongside each other, and yeah, I think we raced pretty well together when we went. Do you remember well. the first time you raced with me? I remember the first time I ever raced with you. Oh yeah, when was that? The 2002 Sun Tour. I do remember uh, that when Cookie won. Yes, yeah, we were riding for a composite Francis de Jour team with Renshaw as a stagiaire. Yeah, and I think you were riding for Vic, so, VIS or no, something. A mixed team of, yeah. of of sorts. Yeah, I was still trying, so, like trying to turn professional. Yeah, I do remember that. Happy days, Simon. Normally we do a question for Brad. Uh, you've got one for us, haven't you? Or you've got one for Brad, I should say. Yeah, I've got a question for Brad. And I guess coming to this stage in my life, basically, it's not sort of in my career anymore because we're, we're both retired, but I've freshly retired and, and you're a couple of years ahead of me there, Brad. So I guess I'm always interested to any advice that you may have for me going to this next phase of my life post-racing. We'll take up in another Olympic sport. That might be a good way to start. <laughs> you know, be completely deluded and deny the fact that you've retired, you know. Um, no, I think, I think actually you've, you're quite unique. In, uh, there's not many riders that do what you've done, really, in, in taking up a whole new industry and a whole new challenge, considering what you've achieved in the sport as well. I mean, it's quite admirable, really, considering how far away you live as well, your natural natural home to come and bring your family, your wife and children into, into London and, and venture out because of your achievements, you know, and the way you speak and the way you hold yourself. You could have, you know, easily walked into a punditry job, coaching, anything like that. So that's quite admirable, really, to, to, to do what you've done. And I think, you you know, you're already there, really. You're on the payroll there, aren't you? You're doing it now. You're learning a new... How many are you three or four months into the job now? Yeah, a bit over three months in now. So yeah. it's, um, you know, you could have easily walked into a DS job, couldn't you, at Green Edge? Yeah, but I was looking for a new but challenge. You're not that sad, are you? <laughs> you're going to do something different. <laughs> I wanted to do something a bit different. I wanted to learn a new skill set. And, and I think, um, like I've heard you talk about, you kind of, for a little while after you stop, you kind of fall out of love with the sport for a little while. So I was kind of, to a certain extent, really falling out of love with, with cycling my last year or so racing. Um, so I'm like, okay, what can I do that's different? What can I do that's a new challenge? And I've still maintained to ride my bike. I still watch the racing. So I never lost my passion completely. But yeah, I was up for doing something different. We were talking about things last week with Matt, actually, that I find I'm still institutionalised in doing. Like from the French teams, I still take the middle out of the baguette or bread. Any bread at a dinner table, I take the middle out. Have you found anything hard to let go of? Like do you still find yourself thinking, I'm putting weight on, even though you ride for most of your career underweight as a normal mm-hmm. person? You know, all those little things that you that you kind of become institutionalised in, in doing. Have you found anything difficult to let go of? Well, one thing that, that I find, it's a little bit institutionalised. So at work these days, they have casual Fridays. 
So you can you basically can choose what you're wearing to work. And I hate casual Fridays. Like a nufty day at school, because, mufty day. <laughs> because every other day of the week, it, it's a suit. Do you have to pay a pound when you go in? <laughs> no, it's a suit, and it's like a uniform. It's like every day for my whole professional career, you didn't really have to think about what clothes you were putting on, just mm. maybe how many layers you put on. And it's a bit institutionalised that I get into a new environment, and I hate the day that I actually have to choose what, what to wear, because any other days I just grab one of my sort of Jeff Banks suits out of the, out of the closet and, and go with that. Is it paralyzing? Well, so you're, late, you're late for work there, Jake. Sorry, that's to get ready. What that's, to about, wear. that's about all. Yeah. All right. Well, that's about it for this episode of the Bradley Wiggins Show by Eurosport, the home of cycling. Thanks to our sponsor, Lacquer. Uh, we'll be back next Monday with a look back at Paris Roubaix. It's here, Brad. It is. It's nearly Best here. race of the year, isn't it? It can be, and, and we hope it will be. Um, yeah. Until then, you can stay up to date with Brad on social media at. So we go. So we go. Got, got it off the cuff now. Easy. Bang, uh, and and, uh, and Simon will be giving sound financial advice, presumably at. Uh, no, I won't be giving you any <laughs> sound financial advice for a little while yet, but uh, social media handles at Simon Gurrens. If you want to follow Simon, he's there. Plus, you can follow Eurosport on Twitter and Instagram at Eurosport underscore UK, or you can find us on Facebook. And if you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe, share, rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice. But for now, a big thank you to Simon Gerrans for joining us. Thank you, Simon. Thank you, guys. And Brad, it's it's good night from him. It is good night from me. <laughs> and it's good night from me, Graham Wilgos. We will see you next Monday. The Bradley Wiggins Show is a Muddy Knees Media production for Eurosport. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.